Hello, I'm Oinak and I have been at Romana's for the last 20 years. I was born here. Uh, we have a children's home where we have 43 kids coming from uh, many different challenging backgrounds. We have single parents, we have abusive kids, you know, abusive households, uh, kids that we rescued from prostitution and uh, yeah, field work basically just running and looking for children yeah. that need to be here. And uh, it's a children's home as well as a running school for over 250 local village children. It's absolutely free. We give them a midday meal, which is uh, all homegrown and organic. The cafe is a way to generate income and provide vocation training for our children. So not only do we teach them how to cook, but hygiene, life skills, and um, so much more. It's lunchtime at Ramana's Garn Cafe, nestled in the hills of Rishikesh, India. Outside, there's a storm brewing, but in here, you'll find only warmth, conversation, and mouth-watering dishes like eggplant moussaka, beetroot and pumpkin soup, and pear crumble pie. Ingredients are grown, harvested, and prepared on-site. Proceeds from the cafe go to support the school, which for the past 20 years has offered refuge for abused and abandoned children from all parts of India. Ramana's garden is the vision and the passion of my guest this episode, Dr. Prabhavada Dabwa. Most know her just as Prabha. She's American by birth, but India has served as her adopted home for almost 40 years. And what she's been able to achieve here over the course of four decades is something quite astounding. Prabha isn't a successful businesswoman or a self-made millionaire. She doesn't own a company or drive a fancy car. She knows little, if anything, about venture capital and even less about a P&L. Unless, of course, the money starts running out. What makes her different? Well, for one, she's tenacious. Pitbull tenacious. Her life is defined by a determination to persevere against all odds. Ramana's garden is testimony to that fact. Where others flounder, Prabha just gets it done. My wife, who's known her for almost 16 years, calls her the angel warrior. And having interviewed her myself, I now understand why. I contemplated cutting and editing this episode to reduce the length of the discussion, but thought better of it. Prabha defies censorship. Her story informs her mission. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you ever since I first heard your name some 16 years ago uh, when my wife uh, came here to Rishikesh and uh, visited Ramana's garden. And here we are. So thank you so much, Prava, for being here. I'm really honored that you are here. And I didn't realize that that many years. Um, but I am so touched that Anne brought you. And now you get to see Romanus. And yeah. it's good you waited because we didn't have as many things to see. And we, we've got more stories than you can imagine. So uh, hold tight. And so here we go. I thought if you could start by giving us a little bit of background about your upbringing, where you're from, and how you arrived in India. Well, I'm American, or I'm not sure you could say I'm American, because I'll be 69 next week, and I've been in India 36 years. So you do your math. <laughs> but yes, I was born in America. I was born in Durango, Colorado. Not Durango exactly. We lived outside. We lived 20 miles out. And my mom ran a trading post for the American Indians and was a postmaster. So I grew up already really witnessing a lot of injustice, a lot of poverty, a lot of people being 
abused and pushed away and segregated against. And as a child, I can remember never being able to understand that because most of my friends were American Indian. They were those kids. And it was so strange for me to grow up seeing them with this incredible injustice. Um, what was your birth name? Magdalena Lucille. Mm. And then we're going to come back to this in just a minute, but but a little bit about how you then made your way from Durango to the West Coast, I guess, was your next stop. Is that right? Well, it was interesting because we all, I say we were in a small farming community, and there was a school that had been built since 1932 with three rooms, and all of us were in that school building. And it was, it was great. I mean, I remember it was such fond memories. And then... They condemned that building, and they moved us to the city, and nobody wanted us. We were as condemned as the indigenous Indians had been, and many were Mexican. And we received the same rebuttal and the same extreme unwelcome that they received. And many of my classmates dropped out, and I was a fighter from childhood, so I wouldn't drop out, but it was a losing battle in so many ways. And I was struggling in a huge way. And in my senior year, suddenly a drama coach arrived. There was no theater. There were no plays, nothing like that, other than the ones that I was always writing and producing and creating. Suddenly there was a real bona fide drama coach who I actually owe, I guess, my life in many, many ways. His name was Russell Wigglesworth. (laughs) Great name. Great man. And he arrived, and there was a lot of gossip about who could, there was going to be a drama club, and only the good kids could be in it, and certainly never you. So I gave it no further thought. I was one of them, and them aren't allowed to participate in anything. Mm. I was really talented on a trampoline. The first time they ever showed me a trampoline, I started turning flips. I was so happy to be on a trampoline. And so the the gymnastics teacher said, you could join the gym club. They blackballed me, of course. Them, them, always them. So I heard there were drama club auditions. Of course I didn't go. It's not for you. Right, okay. Well, his timing was amazing because exactly on that moment, I was in a lot of trouble. I was always in trouble. And I was in big trouble on that particular day for which I won't tell a story, I won't, but I was going to be expelled from the school. Mm. That was it. I had been on probation, and now it was the end. And I was under the steps to the principal's office crying. Mm. Not for me. I was angry. I didn't care. I didn't want to go to that school anyway and be them any longer, but for my mom, Mm. the shame and the humiliation that once again I was causing her. Mm. And suddenly, Mr. Wigglesworth was squatting down there under the stairs with me and said, I've been watching you. And I would like to give you the lead in my play. And I'm like, get out of my face. That's exactly what I said to him. You know, you don't know who I am. Obviously, you couldn't make me that offer. And he said, yes, yes, I do know. And I know that you're about to be thrown out of the school, and that would be a horrible loss. He said, I'm going to appeal for you. And I said, why? And he said, because I think you have talent. Mm. And he did. And he did. Mm. And he gave me the lead. And got me a scholarship out of that lead, then I got a scholarship to college and changed my whole life. Yeah. And And introduced me to the magical, amazing world of real 
theater and it's it's healing possibilities as but it, well. But yeah. it also went to your head, Hollywood. Well, it went to my head because of him. <laughs> Somebody believed in you. Well, he arranged for me to go and get an audition for a much bigger scholarship. And again, I was them. And it was given unjustly to a young woman who couldn't even remember her lines in the audition. Hmm. And I was, wow, you know, that's it. I believed. Now I don't believe. You, you deceive me. And he basically said, did you find it? Yes. The only way you're going to break through all of this is to get out of this town. Hmm. And to do that, you just have to go to Hollywood. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, right. How? <laughs> I was 17. And I uh, no, not possible. Yeah. Bus. Bus. Yeah. Yes. Well, existence always has a way of putting us exactly where we need to be. Hmm. And... At the senior prom, we, them, weren't allowed to attend. So in retaliation, we threw a kegger. I don't know if you know what that is. You buy entire kegs of beer and drink them all in the woods. In protest. So, yes, in protest. We don't care. We didn't want to go to their prom anyway. I did want to go. I wanted to go, I think, as much as almost anything I ever wanted in my life, certainly up to that point. I wanted to go so much, and we were not allowed. So at that kegger... Um, I had a terrible accident and went over a 500-foot cliff. Good grief. Yes, it was, <laughs> and broke a lot of bones, but disfigured my face completely and totally. Hmm. So I really didn't have a choice. If I wanted to have a face, I had to go to Hollywood. Where they make faces. Where they make faces. You got it. That's exactly why I actually pulled it together and found a way to travel alone out to Hollywood mm. in search of someone who would fix my face. <laughs> That's a great reason to go. Granted, I still wanted to be an actress, whatever, but I wasn't going to be anything except a cyclops. I had no nose at all, mm. gone, and nine fractures in my face, both jaws, very bad. Well, looking at you now, they did a wonderful job. He. Oh, he did. He. Yeah. Again. Mm. There's always the right person who just gets sent to us, and I truly believe that. And I went through a chain of, of plastic surgeons who all said, no, 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 and actually the last laughed at me and said, are you joking? You have to have something to fix, honey. Mm. <laughs> wow. Well, I called. I went to a payphone again and dialed, and this time got the president of the Plastic Surgeon Association, who they informed me was only in research now, wouldn't see patients. And I burst into tears and told his receptionist my plight, and she said, come. I did, and I became his research project. I became the first successful bone transplant from another person mm. that ever happened. And then, th I mean, that's just 17 years old, 18 years old at this stage? Yes, yeah, 17. Right. And, and, and then how in the world did India emerge for you? Well, as soon as I got my face back, I went for it in Hollywood with everything I had. Yeah. And he put my face back to a degree that I could do that. Mm. And so I was literally banging on every single door in Hollywood and Me Too stories from here and back and not getting any breaks and just really, really struggling. 
And finally, in the last hour, it looked like I was up for a very big part. I could outread, and it was to play in a roller girls derby. I could outskate and outact all the others. They might have been able to do one or the other better than me, but nobody had the combination. I remember seeing Madonna in a roller derby movie in the 1980s. Am I right? I, I seem to have this vague recollection. Was that that wasn't you? You, you weren't the, it was the pre yeah. that, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly there was this huge thing about roller derbies. Right. I don't know why. Yeah. So it was a lead role, had to play a lesbian. That was quite controversial back then. But you were good for it. I was ready to do whatever and that, and so I was up for it. Mm. All good, fabulous audition, da-da-da. I'm home, it's 5 o'clock, my phone rings. It's my agent, who I won't name any names, but he went on to, I was his little star to be, and he went on to make some of the biggest stars in Hollywood Mm. ever. Mm. He said, get it right. Who do you think you are? Virgin Mary? The producer wants you to go to Palm Springs. You go or you're done in this town. Finished. Mm. I'll see that you never work here. Get in the car now. Mm. Wow. I didn't want to get in the car, blah, 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 but I did get in the car. And I did go to Palm Springs, and I resisted all the way. And again, what's meant to be will be. Um, Before I could become another Me Too, to show off his incredible stable of expensive, collected from around the world horses, he had a stallion that he had just purchased from Arabia, to be exact, over 19 hands high. That was Mm. over my nose. Mm. That he claimed no one could ride. Mm. And... I took the challenge and said, I can. And if I can, you give me the part. Mm. I rode. I did ride. But the horse jumped a wall, a six-foot wall. Mm. And I fell badly on my head and had a severe concussion and was left there with a nurse because of bad publicity. We wouldn't want that. Mm. So there I was. And what should I find? A book that he left. And I read it, and it brought me to India nine days later. Wow. What was the book? It was a book written by Osho, Only One Sky. Mm. And that was, the, that was the game changer? That was a game changer because everything in that book made sense, and nothing in my life did. And, and then nine days later, where did you first fly into? Bombay, and then mm. straight up to Pune, mm. where I stayed for the next 13 years. Yeah. Until that particular, then I did Oregon, of course. Wild, wild country, here we go. Maybe we shouldn't be saying all this. Sure, you can say whatever you want. Well, people might. mm -hmm. No. But but, but tell us about those 13 years in in India, those initial years. Where did you live? What did you do? I lived, uh, you know, in different houses that I put together, and I spent most of the day in the commune and did a lot of meditating and a lot of work. And I worked, and I worked on myself, and everything made sense. Everything made sense. I wasn't a them. We were one. Um, His main teaching was that we recognize and honor God in each and every one of us, Mm -hmm. 
and I can honestly say that was happening there. And the minute you honestly acknowledge every single being that you meet, that you encounter as God himself, everything changes. Mm. The whole game changes. Mm. The competition, the jealousy, the bullying, the backtalk, the backstabbing, gone. Mm. It was everyone's better interest was in you as well as in themselves. Does this uplift you and me together? Mm. This was unknown to me. Mm. Totally from my youngest age, I had never felt that. I had never seen that. I'd never experienced that. Mm. And what it brought out in me was an explosion of creativity, mm. as it did in everyone. Mm. We were building this amazing, incredible place. Mm. And we were working and learning, and he suggested that I learn many modalities of healing. Mm. So I would learn one and then immediately start another. So modality after modality of healing mm. I learned and then practiced and then later was sent all over the world to various communes to teach it and to offer it. Mm. So everything in my life took a 180-degree change. And, and you live simply, too, by, oh, by the absolutely. Ganges. Yeah. No, 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 no. This was in Pune. Oh, oh, back in Pune. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. But we lived very simply. Right, right. You don't need any stuff mm. when the inside is full. Mm. And that became apparent almost immediately. I was there. I was living with people who had less than anyone had had since my childhood. And yet everyone was so rich. Mm. They were so fulfilled. They were so generous. Mm with everyone. Everyone was so generous and so uplifting. What about Rishikesh? How did you make your way here? Master left his body. And one of the things he said before leaving the body is, when I do leave the body, run, don't walk, Mm. run and find another living master. Mm. It's very hard to awaken to our true potential alone. Who did you find? I ran all over India. Mm. I covered thousands of kilometers by train, by bus, tracking down. Oh, we heard there's a master there. No, we heard one's there. And I wound up in Lucknow with an incredible master, a descendant of Ramana Maharshi, who was at that point 85. And feeling that I had missed somehow because the first master was gone and I was still really seeking. So in that sense, I said, I don't want to miss. I said that to him, I don't want to miss. Don't let me miss. Don't let me miss a single second. If you see I'm going off the path, hit me. Mm. And he did. And did he? Oh, boy, (laughs) did he again and again and again. And then maybe the biggest or the best, who can say? One day he said, we have to go to Hardwar. I will take you to Hardwar. Yes, good, I'm, I'm coming to Hardwar. Yay, my dream. My dream to be in the Himalayas with a master, like all the books and, and yes. Yeah, living the Hollywood dream. Absolutely, and here I was, and we were on the banks of Ganga. We were swimming in Ganga. And uh, yes, he said, you have to live here. And, and you did, and for a while, was it just to be? Or were you looking or, or practicing in a certain way? Were I you? Was, he said, he yeah. took me, he said, you have to go seven kilometers up. You will find a cave. You have to, I lived in that cave on and off for 15 years. You have to now live in that cave. Imagine me, a cave. I mean, I do have my 
preference and comfort. Yeah, it's a sweet little place here. If you allow me that. And I was just horrified, to Mm. say the very I found every excuse I can't, I won't. No, do it. And in the end, I did it. And then there was the Gangas, the, 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 the river rose, and yes. there was a flood, and, and you were flushed out of your cave, if literally, I recall. Yeah. Literally yeah. flushed out. Yeah. Already from the cave, curious children came. Wow, wild white woman with white hair by then is in a cave. What is she doing here? Okay, well, we can start a little school while you're here. We can mend those wounds on your arm. We can sew some buttons on that shirt. The next thing I knew, I had a full school running, and my little medicine box had become a medicine chest, and I was growing my own food and enough to feed those kids as well. I had a garden. Okay, we can make this work. I had a retaining wall. We're okay. Mm. And then the river rose and took everything. Mm. Everything. Except for one handbag, if I recall. A shoulder bag. I had gone to town to get more medicines, so the only thing I had with me was on my motorbike, was my tapestry patchwork bag that I carried all the way from Hollywood. Never stopped using, never stopped carrying. It was great, shoulder bag to them. That was all that was left, passport. Well, I didn't have so many belongings in the cave, but what I did have was gone. Any identity I could claim as mine was gone. But that connection with the kids was established. You knew that there was something you should be doing with them. Is that right? That was absolutely crystal clear. Mm. And they were all there. Mm. Tremendous excitement that Ganga had taken my cave. Mm. Big excitement. And villagers were there. There was a big crowd waiting for me to return on the bike. Well, you say excitement because they wanted to know how you were going to react? No, it's When when Ganga takes everything... You're blessed. It's time for you to move on. It's a blessing. Well, they weren't happy to have me move on. And they quickly whacked down bamboo and whatever and constructed a tiny hut and made me promise I would never leave Mm. and that tomorrow they would give me more, tomorrow they would build me more, but don't leave. But but you needed money to do that. And how did you get raised that money? I took the bag, that's all I had, and I knew that over the years, many, many trips, many lives, many places, you people give you their card, or it, they write their name on a matchbook cover in a bar, whatever. Hmm. They all go in the bag, <laughs> and as it fills up, you don't even know they're there, just the level of the bag rises. Okay. So I realized that I that's there, and I turned it upside down, and there was so much there, going back years Many, many years. And I dumped them all out, and I started calling. Oh, then I called one number that I knew would help me, and they did. They said, we can give you a ticket. Where? I don't know where. <laughs> um, okay, I will come to America. So that flight took me to Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, I wanted to call them and, and let them know. And, and I went to the phone booth. And there was a it was phone box then, and it went and there was a man in it, and he stayed in it and stayed in it, and I'm looking, I'm gonna miss my flight. In the end, he went out and he left his credit card, and I grabbed it and I ran after him. He disappeared, and I thought, well, I'll f- look at his name. I, we have to find him. We'll have to page him. Dow Chemical. Well, well, well. We do owe each other something, don't we? Okay, we're on, and I put that back in. And called every number in my bag. <laughs> Thank you, Dow. Thank you, Dow, <laughs> wherever you are now. Yeah, yeah. And said, look, this has happened. I need help. Mm. I need a floor, a room, a basement, your church. 
your yoga. No, it was no yoga then, not the first round. So anywhere you can receive me with people, I need money. Mm. I need to raise money. All you need to, and people say, well, I don't have any money. You don't need money. Give me a place and gather people to hear me. And, and was your vision there to set up an orphanage or a school? Or what was the early version of what is today Ramana's Garden? No, no way an orphanage. Ooh, I had never yeah, gone that yeah. far. I wanted these kids to get an education. At that point, they had no chance. Mm-hmm. They were not accepted into any school. It was a mess. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to have nutrition, get over malnutrition, and have an education. What year was this? Whoa, when was it? 94. 1994, yeah. So so then where did you, so you traveled across Europe, U.S., gathering, Started meeting with in, people? From Hong Kong yeah. straight away and uh, did America, Europe, and Japan. How hard was it to raise that money? Not hard. Yeah. People are amazing when it's real, and that's the point. How did they know it was real? Here's this woman who flies in, has a gathering, white hair, big stories, big smile. Tapestry hippie bag. Yeah, that was it? That sold? Yeah. I was telling the truth, and the truth resonates, mm. just like you know. When people are real, you know. Right. There is something within your being, mm. which is truth, because we are our whole, every single one of us, no matter what role we're playing in that moment, is resonating from an inner truth. Right. And that inner truth never is taken. Mm. So if you speak to someone with authenticity and inner truth, they're going to know it. Mm. And somehow everyone who came to hear me knew it. Mm. And they gave, and they gave, and they brought friends. And I gathered a, that bag, and it all went back in the tapestry bag. Yeah, how poetic. <laughs> and came all the way back here with $28,000. Yeah. And with that money, what did you do? Immediately went to the edge of where the cave had been was on the edge of a little ashram and renovated so that we had a first thing was the kitchen and a dining hall mm. so the kids could get food mm. and a school. Mm. Yeah. And then that that was 28 years ago, is that correct? No, we've been here 28. It would have been uh, 29. 20, 29 years. Yeah. And what's happened since then, probably? Well, Tell us a little lost, bit about that story. I started, uh, I had... Uh, I could start to do that. I had gained some money. And in Spain, I had met people who said, we'll sponsor you if you'll do everything in our name. I don't care whose name it's in. Let's just do it. Let's make this difference. Let's change these kids' lives. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I was going to villages. I didn't just have to help just... I could go up to the village. I could set up a school in the village. I could set up kitchen gardens. So it was just spiraling and spiraling and it went from we started with 80 kids and then it was 800 and then it was 1800 68 villages 13 schools so, and it so just went i i don't even know how yeah. because i wasn't doing it so, i was so, just responding and it was happening so ramana garden is is a location today but what you're saying is by extension it's going into villages setting up little cottage industries establishing no, no, schools we didn't no. go that far yeah. we brought first of all education nutrition and clean drinking water and toilets yeah the basics the basics yeah. And then, and then how, what has been your approach towards raising funds throughout the years? What have you learned? What have you discovered about what works? Is it corporate? Is it individuals? Is it going back to certain networks? Is it by extension getting others to help you do the work? How, what, what's your secret? 
It depends totally on others. Mm. As I said a minute ago, I truly believe that we all want to help. We do not want to see suffering, and we are surrounded with it on such a huge degree. And a million, help this, do this, donate here, to where people are so overwhelmed, they just close down. Mm. But if you offer them, and it is a gift, you offer them the gift. Here is the gift. This is the opportunity for you to make a definite difference in another one or many lives. Mm. We all want that. Even if we don't recognize it till it's right in front of us, we want that. So for me, what has worked, corporate hasn't really worked because I didn't get into too many. Mm. I'd say the biggest amounts came from, I don't know, um, church basements, luncheons, gatherings. When yoga hit, yoga halls. Mm. Just gathering where humans who care enough to come came. And I can say very few gatherings with the exception of that a few, mm. almost everyone gives to whatever the capacity they can because it, they get turned on to understanding that to give is a gift. Mm. I've got this many years to live. How many will it be? If I change this many from one to a thousand to children's lives, I live on. The world is a better place for all of us mm. if I help those who are really suffering and struggling. And, and But the story runs deeper because okay. it has not been easy. I mean, the level of corruption and the pushback and uh, the, the local politics. I mean, you've had to, to fight a battle every day for all of these years is my impression. How has that been and how do you get up every morning and decide that today is just one more day we're going to push through? Well, it was such a battle when I came because I was a white woman. I didn't speak the language. And I was going against the caste system because there was no way to uplift girls if I didn't go against the caste. There was no way I could uplift the majority of the 1,800 children that were coming from the lowest caste. So to uplift them, already I was a target. To feed them together was unheard of. I was, they had tried to kill me three times, and those three attempts were mostly over the caste system, mm. which I would not bow to. I couldn't. As long as I had to bow to one being, being born superior to another in spite of the abilities and talents and same innate residence of God that is in each and every one of us, I couldn't work. So I couldn't back down. I had to keep fighting that system, and it almost cost me my life. This is personal. This goes back to the early part of the story, your childhood, exactly. right? Yeah. I grew up seeing people be treated as inferior. I grew up seeing people have no rights. I grew up seeing people lose their land. I lost my land. The whole thing I built with that first money and the next money for the next years all got taken by corruption. We got out with nothing. We got out with only the clothes on our back. Mm. I ran into the clinic to try to rescue foreign medicines, and they beat my hands with sticks mm. and broke the glass vials on the floor. Mm. So how do you continue 
day in, day out. And, and, and things you know, all around us now, there's, there's five-star hotels, there's you know, all this development, there are people who are flushing sewage into the, into the, the river. Yes. You, you've, got, you've got every day, it seems like it's just that the problem in some ways appears from the outside to grow and grow. How do you combat that? By knowing that I don't do this. Mm. By knowing that there's a force so much greater than me behind this. And that force is available to all of us, Mm. but it just takes opening up to it and saying, let these hands be yours. Let these hands be thine, thine hands, my hands thine. I'm not doing this, no one could do this. If you look at it, 25,000 children have been educated. No, I didn't do this, I didn't do even one. The greater force that seeks always to rise, that seek always that we are one and we have never been separate, only when we separate ourselves, that seeks to bring that knowing to a universal truth will work through, I believe, I could be wrong, I'm not a guru, but I believe that that force will work through anyone who opens their hands and says, let that force rise. Let us unite as the one that we are. Why must there be, look, yes, I'm surrounded with five stars. I'm surrounded with hotel rooms where people pay for one night what it costs me to feed my entire school for a day. Mm. How is that just? Mm. Where, and people are dying of hunger every day. The rat eaters don't have enough rats to eat. There's a whole segment in here in India called the Chua Bonders that can't even eat rats because there aren't enough. My gracious. How is this possible when next door can cost a crore? Mm. When, it, oh, I can't go there. When crores are spent on events. Mm, mm. So it's yet, yet you, you, you fight on. Yet here in the midst of all of this is Ramana's Garden, which is this beautiful combination of schoolhouse, uh, a cafe, a farm. You grow your own food. You have a dairy, uh, goats, cows. Uh, it's a bit of an oasis in the middle of a capitalist chaos, is it not? But like everything else, I never planned to have to have a dairy and chickens and goats. (laughs) But as the corruption and pesticides and poison and poisoning children's milk with urea became a commonplace event, I had no choice. Mm. I'm not going to give kids poison. Buy a cow. Mm. One isn't enough. Buy another one. Oh, she'll have one. Okay, and she'll have one. Good. Oh, a goat. We need goats. Goat milk is more nutritious. Okay, get a goat. We have 52 now. Okay. All right. Just the whole name of the, I mean, if you go to, there are two websites, and one of them is Say Yes Now, because it's just saying yes. Oh, that's poison. We have to grow. Oh, you can't give that food. You can't buy food. You have to grow it. It's poison. Okay, buy a cow. We can't grow that. All right, we have to grow. It's just saying yes as the need arises and trusting that it will come. I mean, if, if you have to ask me, the one greatest thing I hear Osho saying and that he gave me is create the cause and the effect will follow. Mm. Just trust. Mm. Buy that cow, buy that goat, buy that land, mm. plant those seeds, start a school, start another school. Mm. Whatever it is, just, okay, that need is arising. Yes, I will address it. Yes. And somehow... 
Mm. It just comes. Mm. It just comes and comes. So it sounds like it's mostly feeding on itself. It's creating this momentum um, based on what happens one day, then something follows the next day, and it grows from there. Do you have a vision for what you want to leave behind here? Well, my vision is unfolding, and it's unfolding exquisitely. Look, you met them. You see them sitting next to you. Mm. My kids run this project now. I've only been here two out of 12 months because I was out working for us. They run everything. They run the cafe. They run the school. They manage everything, all the financial and the legal, and they're much better than I did. Mm. I have literally stepped back. So you've created an entire... Uh, legacy of young people who have been empowered to build and create their own environment, their own future, their own uh, almost delivering on what you saw many, many years ago, and now they're operationalizing everything. Exactly, yeah. and doing it better mm-hmm. than I did. What, what else the is... the vision l- in that is this. Already for so many years, because I grew up in America, because I saw the incredible dysfunction, especially with bullying in high school that happens. And it's taking a toll higher now than it did when I was there how many years ago. So already for 12 years, I would get kids from America to come here in rehab and do 21 days here with the kids. And the program was phenomenal, Mm. phenomenal, life-changing. These are American kids who were struggling and addictions, other things like that. Addictions, detention centers, cutters, drug addicts, um, petty crime. So so the idea of service, service as a means of healing. Yes, Mm. just opening and understanding. Mm. So already that really resonated that we give back to the West Mm. You know, everybody thinks, oh, India, we have to give India poverty. But I say the West is more impoverished on a spiritual, emotional level. So now what comes up for me is not all the children. Oh, we do have engineers. We have pilots. We have doctors. We have doctors, professors. Mm. But we do have kids who aren't going to be rocket scientists. Mm. But why should they be less? So the idea of creating a retreat center where everybody has a niche, whether you can be in the reception or you're the one who makes the bed beautifully, whatever it is, it's a way for them to generate a source of sustainable income. We're already booked and it's still a fantasy. So that's the next phase, is this health retreat, which has rooms, accommodation. accommodation, the cafe where you can attest yourself. Mm. It's the best food in all of India. Yeah, amen. It's organic, it's healthy, it's clean, it's made with love. Mm. It heals you just to eat there. Mm. So they will live here, they will eat here, Mm. they will study here, whether it's yoga or meditation or some kind of transformative therapy. We will invite speakers who inspire and uplift to bring their mm. followings here. So, so the idea is to build this retreat, to bring in income, to, to, to make sure that this Romanus Garden re- remains self-sustaining. Is that right? Is that, is that how, how you see this? Absolutely. How, how much money do you need to do that? We're not sure. We, didn't, we <laughs> just did, what did the septic cost us? Five, four lakhs. 
Yeah, so what, $8,000 just to build the water and septic tanks. Mm. So it's piece by piece. Piece by piece. We started brick by brick. with water, water and septic. you yeah. got to have your shit together before you build. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is, a, what, a one-year one project, if you could well, get this up and running? We're booked. Right. We're booked for I love, next year. I love that. We already yeah. have a full six weeks booked. Right. I want to match that. Yeah. We oh. don't know with this corona and and stuff mm. that's going on. Mm. What next year or the year after will be. Yeah. We need to do it now. A lot of uncertainty. So, so, so uh, yeah, Pr Prabha, thank you so much. I mean, it's just an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, what you've created here is nothing short of exceptional. Um, so uh, if there, how can people reach you or how can they access a website? Uh, where would you point them if they were interested in learning more? To our websites, mm -hmm. which would be www.ramanas. Is it Ramana or Ramanas? Ramanas.org or www.sayyesnow.org. And in both of those places, you'll find everything you could ask and a direct link to me if you need to ask me. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for helping get the word out there. I don't want to travel as much as I used to. <laughs> None of us do. Thanks. That was my conversation with Prabha, Angel Warrior. Our discussion came just 10 days before the WHO declared coronavirus a global pandemic. Prabha is no stranger to crisis and disruption. When we met, she was already outlining contingency plans for her school and her community. She's no stranger to crisis either. For most of her life, Prabha has suffered injury, known hunger, confronted corruption, and averted extortion. She's witnessed horrific abuse, poverty, and illness, and helped thousands of children and their families find help and support. She's a voice of inspiration in a time of deep uncertainty. If anyone has danced with doubt and fear, it's Prabha. But rather than fold to the power of negative thought, she fights back and offers hope. True to her character, she recently shared with friends and followers this tale from Indian folklore. This is her telling her words. Once Krishna and his companion Balram were walking through a dense forest. It was a scary forest full of fierce animals and demons. Suddenly, a demon came before them. Balram was petrified and asked, Who are you? The demon answered, I am a demon the size of your fear. Hearing this, Balram was even more scared and the demon grew bigger. The bigger he grew, the more scared Balram became. Seeing him grow and grow, Balram suddenly fainted. Then the demon turned his attention to Krishna and said, I am a demon the size of your fear. Krishna looked at him, reached for his flute, and started playing. The more Krishna played, the smaller the demon became until he disappeared altogether. The pandemic has made us all afraid. Perhaps now is the time to adopt a bit of the angel warrior. Stare down those demons. Ask yourself, what would Prabha do? That's it for this episode of Inside Asia. Be safe and stay healthy. We'll be back with another episode in the days ahead. Music